We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you guys tonight. It is, I don't know what day of the week it is, but it's that night. And our telephone number, 833-482-5337-833-4-VALDEZ. What day of the week is it? So tonight we're going to jump into a few different things. We've got the Devin Archer testimony has been fully released. Of course, President Donald Trump has uh, arrived in court and said he's not guilty. But we also have a little bit of the audio uh, that he released earlier. Check this out. Well, thank you very much. This is a very sad day for America. And it was also very sad driving through Washington, D.C. and seeing the What's happening? This is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. This is the persecution of the person that's leading by very, very substantial numbers in the Republican primary and leading Biden by a lot. So if you can't beat him, you persecute him or you prosecute him. We can't let this happen in America. I agree with uh, President Trump there. We really can't allow this to happen. Uh, it, many are arguing, I'm one of those that would argue that, that what's happening right here is is a miscarriage of justice. It's it, We're doing things the wrong way, right? And, and again, I say this uh, not to be so rudimentary, but if there's anybody that's new that's just on their way to work at night and they said, oh, let me listen to this guy, uh, and I don't care about politics, but this sounds like an interesting show. Uh, this whole thing is out of hand. We're talking about a a situation where what they believe are documents that don't match whatever criteria they're classified, they're top secret, etc. These documents are governed under civil procedure, under the Presidential Records Act, not under criminal indictment, not as a felony, not with charges carrying 100 years. And then you add these uh, charges of January 6th where we're saying, because you didn't agree with the election results, because you have a right to disagree through your free speech, we're going to say that you've incited a riot and that in doing so, you obstructed a, an official government function when he didn't even go near this building. And, and to me, it's not about him, right? You've got to try to eliminate him. Put yourself in those shoes. 
and think, if I go out there talking smack about something, you know, I don't like the Dallas Cowboys. I love the Dallas Cowboys. I hate the New York Giants. I love the Giants. I hate the Yankees. I love the Mets, whatever it is. Right? You go out there and you, you talk your smack. And somebody goes and does something and says, well, I went because of so-and-so. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to face jail time and all of this stuff during your own campaign for real uh, for election as president. I mean, this this whole thing doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. None of these things are actual crimes and they're elevating them to the level of crimes because they're twisting. And I'm going to use the word prostituting. They're prostituting the law for their own benefit. This is horrible. Right. But Trump did appear in Washington, D.C., at the uh, Barrett Pettyman courthouse with um, an arraignment on charges of conspiracy to overthrow the results of the 2020 election. I mean, just think about that. There's, he didn't even have the power to overthrow this election. I don't understand how they even charge him with that. Anyway, he got there just after 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and he was indicted for the uh, third time today. Right. This is a conspiracy to defraud the government, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding and conspiracy against rights. Whose rights is. But anyway, you look at this and you think, man, these conspiracy charges are typically very hard to prove because they have to prove that in your mind you were conspiring. And it's hard to prove what's in somebody's mind unless you have something that proves their mindset at that time. A note, a recording, him, some, him telling somebody, you know, I'm going to tell these people to go peacefully and patriotically, but I think, I think they just might go and hurt a lot of people and sit in Nancy Pelosi's chair, right? I mean, it just is unfathomable to me to think that they're going to be able to prove this in a court of law, that this somehow happens. But this is um, the uh, the situation that we have. Trump's lawyers argued that he had the First Amendment right to question the results of the 2020 election. John Laura, who we played some audio of his yesterday, uh, saying that the indictment is criminalizing that right, according uh, to different news reports. So that's the, um, the, uh, the quote. The defense of Mr. Trump is not just for him, but also in mind for all Americans who want to exercise free speech and take unpopular political positions. I agree with Mr. Laura. The indictment states that Trump had the right to speak about the election publicly and even claim falsely, if he felt like it, that there had been an outcome determinative of fraud during the election that he actually won and that the entitled uh, was able to challenge these results as such. And, he, and he's right on that, right? I mean, just because you're wrong or in his opinion, he's saying even if you're lying, you have a right to say what you want to say. And of course, we know that to be true. Uh, might make him, uh, again, if he's found guilty of those things. I think Trump was well within his rights to do what he did. They filed, I don't know, uh, just listen to the media reports, right? They filed 50 uh, lawsuits, then, and according to the media, they were all, uh, he lost them all. It wasn't that he lost them all. Most of them weren't even heard, and they were just rejected from the court. But my point is, he filed the lawsuits. So it's clear to me that he used the legal system the way he was supposed to use the legal system, and it's clear to others that he's crying over spilled milk and he's a sore loser and just move on. You've had your time. You got to go. You're too old. Right? There's a lot of naysayers out there. Listen, everybody's entitled to an opinion. And that's what we do. We argue, we discuss, we debate. We have this conversation and we're going to have a conversation with uh, one of Trump's attorneys, Christina Bob, 
she's scheduled to be with us a little bit later. But it's fascinating to me that, you know, everybody was extremely tolerant of everyone else's right when we've seen this happen in the past. And I don't want to, you know, relitigate the past, but this isn't the first time that people have been dissatisfied with an election and said, oh, they robbed the election. I mean, I remember 2000. That was when I got in the the Bush uh, v. Gore. That was a big deal. Went all the way to the Supreme Court. And at the end of the day, people were like, okay, most people agreed that it was settled, but there were still people that had, you know, their, their panties in a bunch. So th- that's always going to be the case. But it just fascinates me how nobody was labeled a, you know, a, a traitor because they, they were like, no, you're an illegitimate president, ma- mainly all Democrats back then, right? Just an incredible double standard. We're also going to talk a little bit um, later uh, about the importance of reclaiming American schools because schools have been um, a bastion for woke indoctrination. And I know we talk about this a lot, but it, it just keeps happening. So we've kind of got to keep talking about it. And of course, uh, we're going to have a conversation with the publisher of the Post Millennial. Uh, he's scheduled to be with us a little bit later in the program in the second hour. And we're going to talk about unshackling the great middle class in America to restore America. So I'm looking forward to those conversations, and we're going to get to those straight ahead. But first, a word from our sponsors. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Congratulations, everybody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's me, Rich Valdez, and uh, we're having a discussion on what happened today in federal court with uh, the 45th president of the United States. Our guest, Christina Bob, is a You've seen her on One American News Network. She was an investigative reporter there. Uh, she's attorney for President Trump and the author of Stealing Your Vote. Christina Bob, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. So let, let's go through the play-by-play. Because I know, look, I follow this stuff, and I've been doing that for a long time. And I can tell you that I find this indictment to be very convoluted. Uh, I, it, <laughs> I really do have a tough time following how they're making such criminal charges out of, uh, for me, it seems like it's out of whole cloth. Christina Bob. Yeah, no, I actually really liked your analysis in the last segment. Uh, I think you're exactly right. In all four counts, they have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Donald Trump believes he lost the election, but concocted this story of a fake and rigged election for the purpose of fooling, it's very convoluted to your point, for the purpose of fooling Mike Pence into believing there was a reason to send the votes back to the states and, you know, trying to deceive the American public, it's very, very concoctive. And the reason why they had to plead it that way, that he's lying, that he knew the election 
was legitimate is because if he wasn't lying, if if he was right or being honest with his mm-hmm. belief that the election was in the process of being stolen as the president of the United States, he would have a constitutional obligation to do exactly what he did, which was say, hang on a second, let's take a closer look at this. Let's talk to the states. we got to figure this out and make sure that the constitutional rights of the American citizens to elect their own leader is not being infringed upon. But they don't, uh, obviously, they don't want that to be the case. So they have to claim that he was lying because otherwise his actions were perfectly legal. Yeah. And, and, and again, you're a lawyer and you just explained that. And it's still, it still, it seems to me like a stretch, like a guaranteed loss. <laughs> now, people argue with me saying, well, it's not a guaranteed loss because that's rigged too. You've got a judge that's going to be uh, uh, non sympathetic. Yeah. You've got a, a jury that's guaranteed to want to lynch him. Understood. But I really, I guess maybe it's me. The incredulity comes from my thinking that people aren't that gullible. Like, I don't yeah. know that we can actually do that. For me, I'm thinking this is lawfare. They're going to do this <clears throat> kind of like a parachute. They want to slow him down. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not going to stop him, but it'll slow him down, maybe tarnish him enough so that, you know, they can make commercials come the fall saying, you know, four times indicted, twice impeached, this is who you want, that type of thing, because they feel yeah. like it's a sure thing. And, and I hear that on, you know, some of the talking heads saying the Democrats want Trump, that they're they're helping Trump. I don't know if I believe that either, but I do think they, they feel like he might be the better person for whatever reason, because they have so much well, dirt on him. Do you think there's any sense in what I'm saying? Because I, I don't know what to think anymore. Um, I agreed with everything up until Democrats want Trump. I don't think they want Trump. I think they're scared to death of him. And I think they know that this time around, he actually will drain the swamp because he understands who the swamp is now. Um, So I think they're terrified of him. But the rest of it, yes, I I completely agree with. I, I, and I'll, I'll say it this way. I agree that I don't see a way that they actually get a true conviction on this. I just, I just don't, they don't have it. They don't have the evidence. The, the whole story is cockamamie, you know what? Um, yeah. So I, I don't think that that conviction will stand. What I what I think they want, which I don't think they'll get, but I think what they're aiming for is to jam this through, uh, hope that they get a jury with Trump derangement syndrome, everybody with Trump derangement syndrome, and they jam this through knowing that in order to jam it through before the election, they have to violate his constitutional rights to actually do discovery and actually put on a legitimate defense. Uh, so they would blow through that and, and railroad him into a trial that's not fully prepared and try to hope that the jury convicts anyway, knowing that it's going to be overturned on appeal. There's no way that this thing makes it through the appellate process but they're hoping that they can time it right so that the uncertainty is right in the middle of actual voting right. that people get concerned. You know, people are confused about what's going to happen and don't vote for him. And they don't, they don't care that this isn't going to stand. The Supreme court's never going to allow this to go through, but they don't care. They're hoping it just messes with the election. And I think that, that that's the right analysis because of who they picked, right? People are saying this guy, Jack Smith, he doesn't know his arm from his elbow. However, I'd say this guy is an expert in putting things through that get reversed later, but it's a timing thing, right? The, the mud was yeah. slung, if you will, and, and he yeah, did what he exactly needed right. to do. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, even if you do on paper. 
So I, yeah, I think, you're exactly uh, right. And Jack Smith was overturned mm-hmm. at the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously, which is a, that is a feat, right? <laughs> to, yeah. To get them to agree. Um, so I don't think he. I don't think he cares about this. This is 100 percent election interference. Yeah, and I look at it from this perspective that I think you know, when you have a job like this, right? You need a martyr, and and you say, who's going to do this? Who's going to bring this case? in a righteous manner, you know, risking, maybe not really risking, because I don't think the D.C. bar would disbar him, but bringing, the, you know, what could potentially be something that would get him disbarred, uh, knowing it'll get overturned on appeal or worse, even at the Supreme Court level. And uh, and I see him going, oh, me, me, me. I've done this before. I'm right. really good at it. <laughs> right. And then going, there's only one guy for this job. We've got to go with Jack Smith. He, he specializes in That's funny. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And it's so weird. But, you know, you look at the folks involved in this and I think I think they are really happy to be involved. And I think they feel like, you know, they're they're going to go down in history as these great American heroes. But they look at America differently than we do. Right. They don't see America the way that we do. So when we say great American heroes, we're talking about people who stand up to adversity and stand up to tyranny. They're not standing up to tyranny. They are tyranny. They just want they just want to be famous, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's how they're looking at it. They're not doing anything hard. It's not hard to, you know. I, I sorry. I was talking to John Loro uh, right before the segment, and yeah. he said, you know, he he told me that he goes, Christina, there were dozens and dozens of DOJ attorneys and FBI agents in the courtroom. I mean. You had John and Todd and President Trump, you know, a handful of the Trump team. And then you had dozons of DOJ and FBI. They had a very strong show of force, shall I say, that's in how the they courtroom do today. Yeah, that's how they do it. And I just, going back to the point that I was trying to make was that it, that, that is not courage, right? It's not courage to be, you don't have to be courageous to be Goliath. This is very much a David and Goliath story. Mm. Being David is much harder. It's much scarier, but I'd rather be David because I know the story, right? So I I think that's, I think that's what we're facing. Folks, we're on with Christina Bob, investigative reporter, attorney, and former television show uh, host with One America News Network. She's got a new book, by the way, It's called Stealing Your Vote, the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. We're going to talk about that straight ahead. Plus, I want to discuss a couple of other things with Christina Bob. So don't go anywhere. But if you have a call or a question, you can call us 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDES. Now, Christina Bob, is there a website just before we hit the break uh, that we could uh, direct people to or they could get the book? Bob.com or the book's available at Amazon or wherever books are sold, Barnes & Noble. All right, folks, check it out at Christina Bob. That's Bob with two Bs, dot com. And, of course, we're coming right back to continue this conversation and discuss her book, Stealing Your Vote, the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. You don't want to miss this. Keep it locked right here. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Also saying that he was just exercising his First Amendment right here. Do you think that's a valid argument in your view? No, I really don't think that's a valid argument. Because, you know, as the indictment says, you know, he, he they're, they're not attacking his First Amendment right. Uh, he can say whatever he wants. He can even lie. He can even tell people that uh, that uh, the the election was was stolen when he when he knew better. But. Uh, that does not protect you from entering into a conspiracy. All conspiracies involve speech, and all fraud involves speech. So, uh, you know, you, free speech doesn't give you the right to engage in a fraudulent conspiracy. All right, so that's uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr on CNN yesterday saying Trump's First Amendment argument is not valid. Uh, Christina Bob, Trump attorney, and uh, you know her from OAN News, and she's the author of a brand new book. Let me give you the title of that book, by the way. Stealing Your Vote, the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. Christina, Bob, when you hear uh, General Barr say these things, um, how do you respond to that? Uh, Well, I don't particularly hold his opinion in very high regard. They've indicted him for claiming that the election was stolen and for talking to his colleagues about a stolen election that he believes was stolen. That is speech. To the extent they want to say, oh, uh, but we're going after his conduct and that, you know, he he tried to tell Mike Pence, um, you know, to send them back to the states or whatever. Political conduct is protected by the First Amendment. It's considered speech that is well established at the Supreme Court. This is all they, they are indicting uh, political dissent. They're criminalizing political dissent, which the First Amendment protects. So. This indictment will never hold up at the Supreme Court ever. And I agree with that. And it makes sense to me. And what I guess if this becomes a a public relations battle because the Democrats seem to have figured out that we can use the legal system, maybe not to put people in jail, but to, mm-hmm. to mess with them enough or to harass them, intimidate and bully them and to tarnish their their reputation. So that people will think, well, these people are criminals. They're constantly right. in court. They're constantly in trouble. And, and and I get the strategy, and it seems to be effective in many ways, um, yeah. albeit wrong. But I feel like we are conning so many people that are not critical thinkers, that are just really working. Mm-hmm. You know, like me, maybe, when I was, you know, in my 19 and 20 years old, that I wasn't paying attention to this stuff. I didn't care. So I'm thinking, you know, you have all these young people. This could impact so many people forever. Because I'll tell you a story. The other day, somebody asked me, they were like, you know, 
I'm cool that you're a Republican. I just have one question for you. Are you a racist? And I was really <laughs> taken aback because I happen to be brown, first of all. <laughs> and and secondly, oh, I, was, I was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, like I, I haven't heard that before. Uh, like and this is somebody that knew me. And and again, I, I didn't fault them, per se. I was like, oh, my gosh, like you're just trying to dot your eyes and cross your T's because you've heard so often and so much that we are, you know, the, the, the new Jim Crow or whatever. And, and I'm thinking if mm-hmm. people I know in my regular life, you know, talk to me that way, it's their hands down. Trump is evil. Right. And and yeah. this is the work that the Democrats and, and their affiliates within the media, the left within the media that they've done and they've pulled off on the American people. And I think to me, that's the bigger con job here. And and I think it's horrible. How do we combat that? Yeah, well, I think you you are doing it right, like by being real media and by yeah. having your voice out there and letting people hear you. And so that's one of the things I know we all kind of make fun of the trend of podcasts. I know everybody has a podcast now, but yeah. I actually really like the idea of decentralizing the media because for mm-hmm. so long it was just the big three yeah. that anybody could listen to. And oops, in 2020, we learned that they're all in cahoots with each other and they're feeding us lies. And unfortunately, we now have an uninformed public because the media intended it to be that way. And so I think the more we have folks like you and, you know, other folks, maybe with podcasts or other radio shows or, you know, alternative media, I think it's so important because you are educating the public and the public is getting good information if they listen to your show. So, um, I mean, I think, I think you're doing it. Well, thank God for that. But we, we need to do more of it because this stuff, it scares the crap out of me. It's that, that idea scares me, right? Not, not that they're lying that, that I think is a fight we have to have, but the fact that we can just really skew people's, um, view of reality, what is truth and make everybody into some sort of relativist to me is that's a dangerous society. You're exactly right. And look at what they've done. They they have skewed it so much and we've allowed it by just, I think centralizing the media has been such a big part of that, but they've skewed reality so much that there's an entire generation of people that think men can be women or they don't know how Mm -hmm. to define a woman or people don't know up from down and right from wrong because they've been fed these lies for so long. And now we're having to play catch up. And thankfully I think we, we are catching up and we will catch up, but yeah, look at how far Look at how far we slid, you know? Yeah, slippery slope for sure. Folks, we're on with Christina Bob, investigative reporter, attorney, former TV host uh, on One American News. Great network, by the way. And uh, she's the author of a brand new book, Stealing Your Vote, the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. Uh, We're going to talk about that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Plus, your calls are welcome if you want to join in. While she's still here, 833-482-5337 is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. We just have to demonstrate that he will not take power um, by uh, if we uh, if he does run, uh, making sure he. Uh, under legitimate efforts of uh, our Constitution, does not become the next president again. Of course, that is uh, the current commander-in-chief, Joel Baboso Biden, as he's uh, affectionately called on this program, and saying he has to do whatever he's got to do to make sure Trump doesn't get to power. And it's fitting because our guest, Christina Bob, she's the author of Stealing Your Vote, the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. Christina Bob. What are your thoughts on what Biden said there and how does that relate to your book? Well, I think, you know, he outs himself as the tyrant that he is. I love that he adds the disclaimer, you know, by every legal means or whatever legal means are necessary because leftists cling to that and go, see, see, he's not breaking the law. He said he's not breaking the law. He's just doing whatever he possibly can to make sure Donald Trump can never be president again. It's like, oh, including weaponizing the DOJ. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, so and it's the same thing that they did in the indictment, you know, that we talked about the last segment. Like, oh, we're not going to infringe on his First Amendment rights, but we're going to infringe, infringe on his First Amendment rights. Oh, okay, but they said they weren't doing it. Okay, but that's exactly what they're doing. So um, I, think, I think they stole 2020. I think they are trying to steal 2024, but they are so unpopular, and they know they're so unpopular that they're doing everything they can to minimize president trump's ability to do what he's doing and that's part of the reason why i wrote stealing your vote was because i wanted the american people to understand what happened in 2020 so that we can prevent it in 2024 it it is very preventable it's going to take all of us it's going to be a grassroots effort bottom up it's not going to come from state leaders it's certainly not going to come from federal leaders it's going to come from people getting involved in your local precinct to clean up your precinct and clean up your counties and if we can clean up every precinct and every county, we're going to have a clean 24 election. You know, Christina, Bob, many people um, are willing to have a conversation about politics and about all sorts of differing issues in society and culture. Uh, and when you get to the topic of the 2020 election, many people have like a shutoff button where they go, you know what? Now nah, you're saying words like rigged and stolen. And once you do that, you lose all credibility. We can't have this conversation mm-hmm. anymore yet. This is a reality, right? And there, there, there's a bunch of cases, right? I think um, Heritage has this, like, counter of how many election fraud ca- right. cases they have. It's, like, in the thousands. So uh, I feel like, uh, and again, that's part of the propaganda machine that's out there. But let's, uh, you know, I guess systemically, if you will, let's uh, walk through your book and, and in so much as you can in the next few minutes and mm-hmm. help us understand, you know, why you chose this name, Stealing Your Vote, because I think that's really important. It wasn't the whole election. It's really people's votes were stolen in many ways. Right. And, and, and give us the inside story of 2020 and how it's going to affect the current election. Yeah. So, I mean, I was a reporter at the time. I was reporting from the White House on November mm-hmm. 3rd, 2020. And I was watching it the same way everybody else was going, wait a second. What, what? They're stopping the count? President Trump's up by millions of votes and suddenly states start flipping and, you know, Republicans are being excluded from the process. And the whole thing was very weird. So I just kind of stuck with the story and stayed with it for a couple of years, actually. And um, 
uh, mm-hmm. from what I found, I, I spent months on the ground in Arizona and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan. And I spoke to dozens, likely hundreds of witnesses to hear their stories and figure out what happened. And there is no doubt in my mind that the election was stolen. And the easiest, I mean, ballot stuffing, I think, is the most common way that it's stolen. They they do things a little bit differently in every state. But um, I think voter rolls, our voter rolls are so porous and so messed up. I mean, for example, Wisconsin has 3.5 million citizens over the age of 18 and 7 million people on their voter roll. Like, why do they have twice as many voters on their voter roll as they have eligible voters and potentially eligible voters in the entire state. And it's because they manipulate the outcome of the election or they at least have the ability to do so. And so the more citizens can get involved and, you know, look at your voter rolls. They have now moved in a lot of these counties to centralizing the count. You know, you used to, to count the votes at the precincts and then the precincts would send their tally to the counties and then the counties would tally all the precincts and send it up to the state. But now they're starting to move towards what's called centralized counting. And Milwaukee did this. Atlanta did this. Philadelphia did this. I mean, are you seeing a trend, right? They, mm-hmm. they centralized the count and suddenly it's a lot less clear how many votes come from each precinct. You don't know what's coming from where. And just a small number of people are counting a much bigger number of votes. Uh, and it, it's easier to sway an election that way. It's much harder to cheat when you have to cheat in every single precinct First, you cheat in one or two big counties. So the more people understand how that process is taking place in your local area, you can push back on your county clerks and say, no, 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 don't do a centralized count. We need to be counting at our precinct level. And this needs to come from the citizens being informed about what's happening in their local area and what they can do. And I give several examples in the book that I I hope are inspiring to the readers of, you know, just normal citizens in Green Bay or, you know, Kenosha or wherever of what they did in their area to really highlight some of the problems and and how, in a lot of ways, they were heroes in their local area. So I hope to inspire people that one or two people can make change. And that is, that's what it's going to take to save our elections. How did you end up uh, writing books about elections and and being a lawyer and being on TV? When you were a little girl, did you say, hey, uh, I want to do all that? (laughs) No, I, uh, no, I never dreamed I'd be doing this. And sometimes I wish I wasn't, (laughs) you know, Um, but uh, I I do think I was born to be a lawyer. I love being a lawyer. I think like a lawyer. Um, So that part, yes, that part makes sense. Um, being on TV, that was kind of a whim. You know, I was in the Trump administration and left right before COVID. COVID hit and I was in San Diego. I was with my family in San Diego and I was like, you know, now what am I going to do? I didn't mean to to quit right before a pandemic. I didn't have anything else lined up. So, um, you know, just kind of randomly, I reached out to One America News and they hired me and then President Trump started watching my reports and liked my reports. And now I work for President Trump. And I, I could not, I mean, I couldn't have planned this if I tried. You know, even now, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing next. But it's been a wild ride for sure. Outstanding. Well, folks, again, check out her book, Stealing Your Vote, the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. 
Uh, Christina Bob is the author, and the website, again, is ChristinaBobBob.com. Uh, anything you want to add, a social media handle, or how else people can keep up to speed with everything you're doing, Christina? Yeah, you can find me on social media at Christina underscore Bob. Uh, and thank you so much for the opportunity to come on. I'm really grateful. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, we, I always appreciate people who know what they're talking about and taking a little bit of time to kind of go beneath the surface so that the listeners can really understand this. Because, again, this stuff is flying a million miles an hour. And uh, many of us in this industry are like, what? What would you say? How would that happen? You know, so if it's getting uh, if, if we're getting uh, kind of um, bogged down by it, just imagine everybody else who's got to go to work and feed kids and do all these other things besides politics. So I thank you as well. Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, Godspeed to you, Christina Bob. And we're coming back. America, your calls and more straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. What would a second Trump term in the White House mean for the rule of law in our country? It would be the end of democracy. He tried once to overthrow an election uh, that he lost. It would be, Wolf, the end of our democracy if Donald Trump was able to get back into office. All right, that's Congressman Eric Swalwell. And again, he says it's the end of democracy if we uh, if Trump wins a, a term in office. Um, it's, I find it so fascinating. I really do. Like, I'm amazed. I don't know why I'm amazed, but I am. That one guy, right? I mean, look, I did not like not term number one nor term number two of Obama. And I said things like he's hurting the fabric of our, of our, of our republic. Uh, and he's doing away with so many of our social norms. Um, so many things. Very destructive terms. But I, I wouldn't go to the point of saying there'd be nothing left. I, because I just don't believe there'd be anything left. These guys, neither of them are suicidal and looking to, like, destroy a country. They destroy certain things within the country. But I think Swalwell is just so extreme right here. Like, even a second term of Biden, and God forbid we have that, right? And I don't think it's even a thing. But we're just talking about more economic uncertainty, worse situations. Uh, I mean, yes, we may risk a third world war that could somehow impact us in, in many ways. Um but I, I don't think that we get blown up, right? I don't think we become smithereens. It, it is a possibility, but I just don't think it's going to happen. He's too weak to start that kind of fight. We know who Joe Biden is, right? But uh, they make Trump out to be something way worse than he ever has been, right? He's never been bad. He, we had such a good time and stability when, when Trump was in office, if you look at the numbers and the facts. But the media had a frenzy. The media said it was the most racist place on the planet, and the media in many ways and the left within the media concocted these these horrible race riots. And it was just uh, just such an ugly time, honestly. Um, and I'm glad we're past that. And I, I hope we'd ever get there again as a country. Uh, but I find it interesting because some people really just get wigged out about Trump. And, and I guess I, I got the Trump vaccine, I guess. Right. <laughs> and I say that figuratively. But 
he doesn't bother me. He doesn't bother me. He could say what he wants. I'm like, yeah, whatever. He said what he wants. That's kind of what we do. I'm a radio guy. I say what I want too. But anyway, Joy Behar, she was on The View today, and she was fantasizing about Jack Smith making a deal with El Trompito. Listen to this. What about this making a deal? My way. What about funny if he, make, he makes a deal with, with, with Smith? Without jail time? With, and without jail. He says, look, I'm going away. I'm moving to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> goes to jail. I don't have it in my heart to punish the I think guy. There are I just want him to go away and stop ruining my if, country. If he, if, I think there are That's certain prosecutors that would offer him a plea agreement without time if he would agree to never run for public office again and anywhere. He's and never, he's and go never away. Do that. I don't even want to see him in the inquiry. Hold on. I have a legal note. Let's not get ourselves in trouble. <laughs> Donald Trump has denied any wrongdoing related to the 2020 election. Yeah, that wasn't him on the phone. <laughs> Yeah, that was her producers checking her because ABC News was like, excuse me, ma'am, stop with your shenanigans. Anyway, folks, we got more to discuss coming up. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. America starts the day with America in the morning. Pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there are. Hi, I'm John Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. Octane action in the dust, a new film puts. Our staff of correspondents provide a fast paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Tuesday night, and I want to get into a few things. Not Tuesday, right? Not Tuesday. <laughs> it is Tuesday? Is it not Tuesday? Thursday. I never know what day it is. It's the beauty of working in radio that goes overnight. Anyway, so... We're uh, looking at the headlines here. And Trump uh, was in court today. He pled not guilty. Uh, then two Navy sailors were arrested for sending sensitive info to China. Not good, no bueno. And a New York City teacher was indicted for trying to film an 11-year-old in a bathroom stall. As if things weren't bad enough with our school system, with how, um, for lack of a better word, woke things are getting in schools. And 
there was a piece a couple of days ago in the New York Post how big tech and big money made our schools go woke. And it's by Kenny Shu. And I wanted to um, bring him on because he's the president of Color Us United and he's written the book, School of Woke, How Critical Race Theory Infiltrated American Schools and Why We Must Reclaim Them. Kenny Shu, welcome to the program. Awesome to be here. Thanks. Awesome. So um, now that we're here, I want to, I mean, you can walk us through the op-ed, but I also want you to kind of explain the book to us. And this is a a recurring theme, I think, in American news, American politics, American culture and society, that we're seeing the wokeification, if you will, of our schools on many different levels. And why did you get involved in this fight? Because I was concerned about why minority black and Hispanic kids were not achieving at the same level as white and Asian kids. Too, just like many Americans, right? You know, we, we want to be a country where everybody can succeed. And, you know, I realized the dispiriting philosophy upon researching the public school system and across the inner cities across the nation, uh, such as Baltimore City, uh, Santa Barbara schools, Loudoun County, went into all of those school districts. And I just found disturbing victimhood-based curricula and lowered standards all around um, some of the kids over in, in Baltimore, for example, 0% proficiency in math on the standardized test, yet they get passed over and over again because there is just a, a, a culture of defeat and self-victimization. And that's what I sought to tackle in this book, School of Woke. Now, tell us a little bit about your background so the audience uh, understands. So I've been a researcher in these issues for a while now. But my first book was called An Inconvenient Minority. I think some of your listeners have probably heard of the recent Supreme Court decision that prohibits uh, the use of race in college admissions, which is a huge decision. Well, the people who really launched that were Asian, ordinary Asian-American activists just coming out of the woodwork because they were the ones being denied admissions along with whites in service of lower in service of affirmative action. And, um, you know, I, I realized that if we continue down this road, Asians, it's not like Asians are privileged. Um, they just happen to be successful at uh, math and science and, at, and at, with their good study habits. And they should be rewarded for that. And if we as a culture will punish those who work hard, then um, we are not going to get anywhere as a society. So I became very passionate about that. So, Kenny Shu, walk us through, and that's a great point that you make. Um, uh, I've always believed that there is an element of our society that wants to punish the success of others, whether it's uh, academic success, financial success, uh, our tax code. (laughs) I mean, there's just so many ways that we we see that and and it's wrong. And I think oftentimes it has very Marxist roots. But separately, the the notion of your uh, of big tech and big money uh, influencing our schools is something I think is really important. And yesterday we had a conversation around uh, how foreign actors are, are c- contributing to many different things at the K-12 through yeah. level. Um, how is big tech and big money making, um, making us that much more woke? Yeah, so first got to understand what big tech's interest in wokeness is. Mm-hmm. Uh, wokeness is a social lubricator for businesses to come in with grand social plans to solve things like racism in the schools. The more racism you can find in the schools, of course, usually made up, usually trumped up, usually encouraged by activists, the more um, 
businesses such as uh, Mark Zuckerberg's um, Panorama Education, uh, which is the business that I talk about in the New York Post article, which you read, uh, mm-hmm. they can come in. They could say, well, in order to solve this problem of racism, you know, we should survey students on the level of racism experienced their school in the school. And they would ask very traumatizing questions like, have you ever brought a gun into the school? These nine-year-old kids, these student surveys that they have to take. And it's just a way for these businesses to get into the public school system without parents and, without parents and many teachers even knowing, take data, information about kids, and then really gain access to some of the key actors in the education system. So they're there. Are they doing this just for the sake of data, for the sake of influence, or just for the sake of being able to sell their woke curricula to the school board a little bit later? Well, the big businesses like Apple and Facebook, their agenda is far more long-term. They know that if they get their laptops in the hands of children, if they get their gear in the hands of children at an early age, they can increase their reliability at a later age. That's why I was part of the pilot program in that Steve Jobs came to my public school system and offered my public school system free iBooks, free laptop computers for all of the students there. And I still remember that. And it was such a big deal. Um, yeah, that, he was that celebrating was now. Sure. Yeah, so people were celebrating everything like that. And I just wondered, you know, looking back on it, why would Steve Jobs offer free iBooks? You know, is it out of his own charity? No, you know, those iBooks did not contribute to our learning most of the time. You know, we played games on those computers and we were distracted from our learning. But, you know, we, you know what we were paying attention to? Our iBooks. So it is a way for it, getting into the public school system system has always been a goal of big marketing tech entrepreneurs. Yeah. For the sake of marketing a product, but not necessarily marketing yeah. an idea. Yes, for marketing their products, exactly. And but but you know, this is where the ideas come in. They will align with woke ideology because woke ideology is the lubricant, you know, it's it's the way to get into the system. Because many of these school boards, remember were already taken over in the 80s and 90s full of woke liberals and progressives who are really committed to this ideology. So in order to convince them, you needed a woke pitch. You needed to show that you were solving racism. You needed to show that you were being a good liberal progressive. And so this is the pitch that tech companies you know, invested in by the Zuckerbergs of the world used to get into the school system, and it worked. Folks, we're on with Kenny Shu. He's got a, a great op-ed in the uh, New York Post that you should check out. I'll make sure I share it on social media at the end of the show. And he's got a book that you should definitely check out as well. Woke, How Critical Race Theory Infiltrated American Schools and Why We Must Reclaim Them. We're coming right back with Kenny Shu to continue this conversation. And, of course, your calls are welcome. And, and at the top of the next hour, it's Open Phone America. So you can uh, start getting in line for that as you feel fit. 833-482-5337 is our phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Kenny Shu, president of Color Us United, and he's the author of School of Woke, How Critical Race Theory Infiltrated American Schools and Why We Must Reclaim Them. Kenny Shu, I, um, I, earlier I said that, you know, this is something we talk about all too often, and I think it's a constant. Like, you know, you listen to the news, and you've got sports and, and weather and other things. And Talking about wokeness in, in public schools is definitely a, a new part of everyday life because— Every day there's more strides being taken by whether it's the radical left or those in big tech or like you pointed out, uh, the big money behind that. What is the uh, recommendation that you have for, for parents who are concerned about this and say, you know, what do I do to stop this? So my recommendation. So actually, I give three recommendations. Um, well, I give a few more than that, but I'll, I'll just touch on three here in School of Woke. The first one at the individual level at the dinner table, um, at the individual level, they can have conversations about colorblindness and why it is important for your son or your daughter to look at your friend as an individual, as a person, and as your friend, regardless of the color of his skin, because they're being taught the opposite in the school system right now, or it is just in the system, it is in the air that they breathe. Um, two, I would really encourage finding the funding streams of these schools, of these school boards, finding it in the budgets, finding out who they work with and exposing that. Because when you expose the cockroaches, the cockroaches flee. Uh, we've seen that time and time again mm-hmm. in, the, in the counties that I've investigated where ordinary parents have stood up and they have been able to get out these businesses like Panorama and stop these contracts because they've been able to make a useful case showing that it is not helping student learning. And then finally, you know, I, you know, I would recommend because the Democratic Party is the party that is most heavily invested and has really taken over the education industry and has incentivized all of these things, I would strive for ideological balance. I would really try to vote out Democratic candidates, uh, especially in the realm of education, because if they are Democratic in the realm of education, they're going to be silenced by their party if they try to speak out against this. This is why I think the only way to really persuade and get balanced the system is through uh, voting those people out. Now, folks, um, that's not the only recommendation that Kenny Shu has in the book. There are several. Uh, Kenny, help, uh, I guess, really help us understand how, I guess my question for you is, do we, do we see an end to this, or is this one of those tensions that will remain forever that we just have to manage and always be vigilant of? Or is there like a knockout punch where we can say, you know, we're going to get rid of this one way or the other? Yeah, I think that we, I think that this is a, a, a big, this will be the next battle, I think, culturally in our schools for the next 10 to 20 years. You know, this is, just remember, our schools have not, have been through many battles many cultural battles. And this is one of them. This is one of the big ones, CRT and wokeness in the school system. Uh, and, and this is something that I think every parent is going to have to be aware of, which is why I think that this book, School of Woke, will be a useful resource early on in this battle. But the truth is, guys, the left has had a 40-year head start. We have not paid attention to our school boards. We've been asleep at the wheel. The left has been able to appoint school board members 
who run unopposed, so there's no election, um, to continue the woke causes and get in deeper with the grift of the uh, of the system that prioritizes the racism narrative above all other things. So we do need to start fighting and we really need to get back in there. But as I've said before, you can make a real impact. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, Kenny Shu, there's a lot of um, talk about, you know, it's not just uh, one issue or another. There's a lot of issues. I, we've seen this critical race theory that you, you've been discussing, but there's also um, the critical uh, gender theory and, the, and these other critical theories that have been introduced into a lot of curriculum and not labeled as critical X, Y, and Z uh, theory, but the, the elements of, of which trying to um, instill this into the curriculum. What should parents be looking for? They should be, and queer theory and gender theory is not something that I'm as uh, well-versed in as some other people. But, you know, from the research that I've been able to do, uh, I, can, I can say a couple of things about it. You know, queer theory, gender theory, this is this whole idea that, you know, kids are sort of put into a heterosexual, patriarchal culture, and so they're trying to liberate these people. At least that's what they say. But the reality of what, what happens is that to do this, they often sexualize kids. Um, and they will sort of impose content upon them saying all sex is good. There's no such thing as innocence. You can do whatever you want. And they would celebrate kids who indulge in narcissistic transgender activism. And I use that word um, very precisely narcissistic transgender activism because if you're an open transgender person at some of these schools such as in fairfax county schools where i talk to teachers who had to undergo this policy you're basically untouchable teachers cannot discipline you or they will get accused by you and the and the principals and administration and the school boards will stand on the kids side isn't that crazy it is a, the overturning of the traditional teacher-student authoritative relationship so in order to fix this issue, uh, you really have to be able to convince, you really, you really will have to build a coalition of people um, to talk to these principals, administrators, and school boards and say, and, and say, why are you are needlessly hurting your own teacher's rights to help the student? Uh, that's what you're doing. And I guess it, it really begs the question, why would they do that, right? It, it, why would you would you um, usurp that authority from the teacher or that ability to help a student? And it, to me, it's very telling that that's exactly what they want. Yeah, well, we're steadily becoming a system where the traditional public school teacher that spends her whole career teaching and finds a lifestyle in teaching, that is falling apart. Teachers are going to the bottom of the school totem pole, and I find that unacceptable. Um, the percentage of administrators in America has gone up at three times the rate as the percentage of teachers in the public school system. And t while teachers' salaries have flattened, administrators' salaries have risen up. And you know what that incentivizes, incentivizes people in the education system? It incentivizes them to leave teaching and go up to administrative positions. And you see this time and time again. And so this structure when you're at an administrative position and you're not actually in the classroom, you're not actually experiencing the effects of your policies, um, you are sort of, you are distant. And I think that this will be a movement, not just for parents, but for teachers in the near future. 
Well, maybe that's exactly what we need, right? Maybe we need teachers to revolt against the, the larger political system that governs here, which isn't the school or the administration, but in my opinion, the teachers' union that kind of reigns uh, in most of the power. And maybe that's exactly the challenge they need, the push. Anyway, we'll see how that plays out. Um, Kenny Shu, let, um, do you, do you, well, let me just ask you that. Do, do you think that something like that would happen? A little mutiny? Yeah. Um, <laughs> good luck, right? <laughs> I think teachers are really, and again, I'm speaking broadly. There's some good sure. school systems, but the ones that I investigated, the teachers are really feeling the harsh, harsh effects of wokeness in the school system right now. Um, one, in the number of unqualified administrators who come in clearly because of diversity, um, they're feeling that, and I, I think that they are starting to revolt against that as well. Yeah. So, you know, I'll I leave it there, Kenny. I want to make sure I plug the book before we go. Kenny Shu, his book, How Critical Race Theory Infiltrated American Schools. Get the book, Woke. Kenny Shu, thanks for being with us. All right, thank you. You got it, brother. We'll be right back. I'm Rich Valdez. Downgraded the um, United States credit rating with many people saying, you know, this might affect the American dollar. This is definitely not a good thing. It's a bad thing. Some try to downplay it. We had Janet Yellen saying all sorts of things. It's, you know, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing. Everybody's trying to play things down. But the reality is that's where we are. And the Biden administration has certain financial and fiscal policies that are hurting America, and particularly the middle class. And Jeff Webb, he's a publisher of The Post Millennial, which I read from all the time. They have great information. And uh, he's, he's got a brand new book. It's called American Restoration, How to Unshackle the Great Middle Class. And I think that's such a fascinating topic because we need to have a, a discussion on the middle class. And the reason I think it's important is because back in the days, the middle class did things that today you, many people don't get to do anymore, right? Like have one income household and buy a home in a suburb. That, that's not a thing, at least not in the part of the country I live in, New York, New Jersey area. That's not happening here. You need two incomes and, and you know, maybe a little more to, to try and survive in this part of town. And that's becoming the, the case all over the country. So help me welcome Jeff Webb. Welcome to the program, sir. Oh, thanks so much. Great to be with you. You bet. So what was the inspiration for writing a book on restoring America, in particular, unshackling the great middle class? Well, I uh, had a, a before we got into the uh, doing the political, the, the media platforms, human events and uh, post-millennial, I had started a business several, several decades ago and was lucky enough to make a uh, success of it, um, had a lot of help along the way. I grew up uh, very much in a, a middle-class uh, environment, really probably probably lower middle-class, really, and um, actually had almost an epiphany experience where I was uh, in, in a position where I, I, could, I could see the, all these events that we, my team had created and, um, and uh, had an experience where I, I really 
it, it hit me that there was something that needed to be done that, that I needed to, to, to try to really kind of pay back um, the, for, you know, the, 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 for some of the success that I'd received and also to try to make sure that the opportunity that I have, that the opportunities that I'd had as a young man would also be available uh, to other young people. So that's, uh, that's kind of how I got started, and that's kind of where the, the ad idea for the book came about. It, it is um, just kind of a slight correction. It's not brand new. It was actually written uh, during, during uh, the pandemic. But okay. um, I will say that almost, almost everything that's in the book, almost all the points apply now, except they're, they're, they're even more critical because, as you know, you were talking earlier about some of the things that have happened and how, uh, how things are getting worse and how the middle class is even under more attack. So everything that I pointed out two and a half years ago or even worse today for the middle class. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Now, the middle class has always been, I feel, the the part of the economy. And I don't like these these terms of middle class and whatnot because I think it's a um, uh, a flawed way to look at things. But there is that 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 middle income part of America, and and I think they're the ones that have they should have the most optimism uh, because they have the most chance, right? They have um, the income and the ability and ho- hopefully the upward mobility to achieve the American dream. Um, do you feel like there's as much optimism now as there used to be? And if so, why? No, I don't think there's nearly as much optimism. And I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's for a number of, a number of reasons. And, and by the way, you are right. I mean, Traditionally, one of the things that has set America apart and has given us an incredible economic engine that has driven the, you know, the, really the wealthiest, given us the, the wealthiest country in the history of the world, was because we had this large and fairly affluent uh, middle class that did have a lot of opportunity for upward mobility, and they were they were uh, they were ambitious and they they worked hard and they you know they gave back and they participated, and now. They've just been over the, you know, it's been a process over the last 30, 40 years where there's just gradual degradation of kind of their piece of the pie. And it's, it's gotten to be very critical. I mean, you, you, you've got nearly 60 percent of American workers who are living paycheck to paycheck and they have no savings. So they have no uh, no cushion for any kind of serious medical condition or health condition or any any type of you know tragedy that uh, comes into their family. So they're. There's a lot of angst. Uh, they're very, I think they're very concerned about what's happened, not only economically, but politically, where they see this, uh, uh, you know, the, the fact that you've got this kind of two-tiered justice system. They've lost faith in their basic institutions that they always supported and believed in, things like our justice system, um, you know, the media even, the FBI. You know, the things that they could believe in that would help give them a chance and give a, give our entire society a level playing field, they're seeing those things really kind of fade away. So I, I think there's incredible angst out there in middle America. I really do. All right, folks. Our conversation is with Jeff Webb. He is uh, the author of the book American Restoration, How to Unshackle the Great Middle Class. And he's also a publisher at the Post Millennial and Human Events, both really good websites. And uh, we'll talk about the, the publishing business a little bit later. We're going to come back to Jeff and his book straight ahead. I want to give you the phone number if you want to join this part of the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833 833- 
for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Jeff Webb, uh, publisher of Human Events and Post Millennial, and discussing uh, the future of the middle class. Now, Jeff, um, how does our American middle class, from your research on your book, how do we compare to that of other countries? And do do they have um, a a class structure like we do, or is it more um, bifurcated into those who have money and those who don't? There's no no question that uh, that the United States has the largest middle class and generally the most affluent. Um, and as, as, as I mentioned earlier, it's that that middle class has been the driver of our economic success. There's just there's just no two ways about it. Uh, but most other countries, like you're saying, the, you, you see this bifurcation where you have people at the top end and then you have everybody else, and especially those countries that have more of a socialist sort of bent to them. Sure. And not just, and uh, I mean, most of the Western European countries, Canada, Australia, include the Commonwealth countries, and they just, uh, they don't have the opportunity. The people that are the working, the working people in these countries, they have, uh, you know, they brag about having, well, many of them have free health care. They've got a job. It's hard for them to be fired, but they really don't have any opportunity to move up. They're just going to kind of get by. They're going to work their entire lives. They're going to have a kind of a very kind of a, a Spartan existence. It's not horrible, but it's not great. And there's just there's just it's just very difficult for them to ever break out of of that situation. Traditionally, in our country, the middle class has had that opportunity. And there's how many how many stories are there like mine of people who have been able to you know find a way to 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 be successful and create new businesses and and jobs and help you know help drive our economy and and our society but um, uh, our 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 middle class has been uh, the biggest driver of of uh, of wealth in this country now jeff let's um switch gears a little bit and talk about how um, you said you came up in a um, you know lower middle class neighborhood and and was able to make yeah. it and, and open several other businesses. What did that journey look like for you? Well, it was interesting at the at the beginning when you were talking about you know like a uh, you know one income family uh, or one one income earner, which is mm-hmm. what we had uh, in, in in my household, uh, my in, in my home growing up and. Uh, you know, we were fine. <laughs> we were, you know, we, we could get by. We had a pretty good life. You know, we had to eat all kinds of sports for all the kids in the family and took a vacation every year. We had good, we had good public schools, uh, which is uh, another, another kind of, another very negative thing that's happened to so many uh, middle-class families. They're, they're trapped in these, these public schools. They can't, they can afford uh, a private school. And these public schools have become uh, so, so bad that the kids aren't getting the kind of education that they need to really get ahead and really do something. So, but I, it, was, it was very much a middle-class existence. I mean, we didn't consider ourselves poor. 
Uh, we weren't wealthy, uh, but we were happy and, and optimistic and felt like we had an opportunity to do anything that we could do. And you were able to make it and get into business, which I think is a, uh, is a big part of, of that story. Well, that's right. And uh, when I, I went to, uh, uh, again, public schools, I went to the University of Oklahoma for, for college and uh, was able to start a business when I was a young man uh, with a, just a little bit of seed capital from uh, friends of my, my family and uh, ran the business out of my apartment when I started it and then eventually mm. uh, grew it over the next 30 years to be, you know, to have 6,000 employees and sales wow. of nearly $2 billion and uh, again, I had a lot of help from some great people along the way, but uh, and I, you know, I did. I didn't start out thinking I want to be rich. I started out thinking I wanted to do something great, and you know, what I was just fortunate that, that things turned out pretty well. But it's something that I, I know I was I was fortunate. I was lucky. I was lucky to live in the kind of society and the kind of country where there was that economic opportunity, where we weren't choked by regulation. Um, you know, where we, yeah, we didn't have important. a company that was run by a, it was a company not run by HR and legal, um, the kind of things that, that are just choking American companies, in my opinion. I think we're mortgaging our future, and I think young people today are going to have a really rough go of it in the future if something doesn't change. Jeff Webb, stick with us. When we come back, I want to hear how you got involved with the post-millennial and human events. Um, two publications with uh, millions of, of readers and, and lots of excellent information. So uh, stick with us, folks. We're coming back with Jeff Webb. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Remember, Open Phone America starts at the top of the next hour. So get your calls in now, 833-482-5337. Our guest is Jeff Webb, and he's the author of the book, American Restoration. Excellent book uh, that discusses uh, Middle America, and we want to talk about that. But we have a caller from... Little Falls, Minnesota, with a question for Jeff Webb. Uh, Dylan on KVBR, go right ahead. Welcome. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I just got to say, first-time caller. Uh, but anyway, my question would be, for the middle, you know, middle-class people in America, what do you think that glass ceiling looks like for us to get through that and to uh, you know, push forth and overcome this, this monstrous government-aided barrier that we've, we've so come to know and, and hate? Thank you, Dylan. I appreciate it. Jeff Webb. Well, Dylan, I'd like I'd like to be uh, really optimistic and tell you, hey, we're on the verge, and let's go get them. But it is a uh, I still think it's possible. I still think people like you who want to do something and are determined. I, I think I think it's still possible. But um, just to be perfectly honest, there has to be a kind of a political sea change, and unfortunately. Uh, some of the things that uh, that have been put in place and economically and financially 
it's, it's not just uh, it's not one party; it's both parties. Uh, we've had a a, a a a growing federal government for for fifty years, and it's it's happened under both uh, in both political parties. Uh, the level of debt that the country has now is something that nobody's talking about. That is going to have to be dealt with over the long haul. There's not a happy ending there, and. Um, I think that the interest that we're paying on the debt is keeping us from having the kind of investment in infrastructure and other types of projects that create jobs, create opportunities for the middle class. So, you know, I think I think people need to get involved politically, which is exactly what I did as a business person, looking up and going, okay, this is where where the country is going. Uh, It's going to affect the middle class. It's going to affect the ability of, of 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 people to really get ahead and to create things that can be great for our country. So. Unfortunately, in this day and age, you can't just go out there and start a business, run a business, or work for a company. If you really want to see a change, you have to get involved politically, and I really believe that. Thank you, Dylan. I appreciate it. Now, Jeff Webb, um, let's talk about what you're talking about, being both involved politically or at least uh, covering politics and uh, discussing politics and the news of the day, as well as your current businesses uh, as publisher of the Postmillennial and Human Events. Uh, how did that come about? Well, when I decided uh, that I wanted to, 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 to be involved more politically, kind of always been a hobby for me, if you will, um, and I decided I want to be more involved politically, I used some of the resources I developed in business and began talking to people and getting getting ideas and had I was introduced at a dinner meeting to Charlie Kirk, who's, as you know, head of Turning Point, and mm-hmm. a young man who's like brilliant and doing great things for our country, in my opinion, and and, um, you know, Charlie and I talked about, uh, you know, where he was going and where I was going and what could be done. And um, uh, he actually introduced me to people who owned human events and then eventually the, the folks who owned uh, out of Canada owned the Post Millennial. And uh, that's where I made those contacts and decided that 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 space, those platforms uh, had the potential to uh, affect the conversation and affect how people looked at our country and our economy and where we're going and uh, made the investment uh, to buy those. And uh, we're really happy with uh, the traction they're getting. And thank you for the nice comments you made earlier <laughs> about them. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I used it in the first segment today. I, I, I used the uh, post-millennial article on on the Trump indictment. And uh, usually uh, yeah. great writing. I've met a couple of uh, the writers. It, it's really good work, very reliable stuff. So I'm, I'm happy to use it, and uh, you're welcome. Now, well, Jeff thank you. we've got a great, great team of writers, and, uh, and it's only getting better. So we're, we're really happy with them. Tell, tell us a little bit about uh, this, because I think there's a lot of people that are very intimidated by, and, and no question, I'm sure it's a daunting task to operate uh, a large um, new media operation like the Post Millennial or even Human Events, uh, which is a very old brand um, that maintains its tradition. But what what is um you know what is what does it entail you know to to what kind of lift is it I'm assuming it's a heavy lift but what does that look like? It is a heavy lift. It's 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 crowded space, and uh, as far as you know, you're you, look you you have to. My background is business, and I, I looked at these really not my involvement here was really not driven by okay I see another great way to make to to build a big company and make a lot of money. It really was more the other way around. It's like, what can we do politically to, 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 to have it, to have an impact, to make a difference, and then hopefully have the, have it be uh, somewhat of a successful business, at least cash flowing, which, which, which they are. But 
actually running the business. I mean, we, we have we have a good team of people, not only from a business standpoint, but again, as you talked about, our writers and we have people that are really dedicated to our brands and what we're doing. And uh, my experience in business is that is that's always the key, is that you can attract great people if they believe in what you're doing, if you treat them the right way, if you empower them, and, uh, and if you reward them. And um, we're, we're building, a, a, I think, a great culture uh, with the two brands are working together. Uh, there's some overlap, but there's some difference, as you pointed out. Human Events is a little more traditional. It is an older brand that we've kind of relaunched and revamped, and then post-millennial is young and cutting edge. So um, we're happy with how it's working out. Covering all the bases. Jeff Webb, I want to thank you we're for trying. being with us. Yeah, you bet. Let me remind everybody about your book. Um, they can get a copy. I think it's worth reading. The American Restoration, How to Unshackle the Great Middle Class. And uh, check out Post Millennial and Human Events. Great websites, both. One really focused on great opinion and commentary. The other one has lots of great hard news and very up to the minute, by the way. And, um, Jeff, again, thanks for being with us tonight. I appreciate what you're doing. Godspeed to you. Thank you, Rich. Thank you. You bet. Folks, we're coming back to Open Phone America. Your calls, I see they're trickling in right now. Keep them coming. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We are coming right back. It's Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. The city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, if you want to chime in that way. And uh, speaking of social media and chiming in, I got a, a note just before from the official Joe Exotic Twitter account. Uh, that is the, the Tiger King, right? The Tiger King. And uh, we're working on getting Joe Exotic on the program as part of our 2024 candidate series. And we're going to talk about everything, including his potential request for a pardon because, you know, Joe Exotic is incarcerated. And uh, once we have more information on when we're going to have him on the show, I will keep you up to speed on that. And uh, speaking of that, I also want to encourage you to go check out podcastawards.com because we were nominated for an award and I'd love for your support on that. But of course, big day today. President Trump was indicted for the third time and he, um, he, he had some interesting words to say, and we played them earlier. Maybe I'll repeat them a little bit later. But he uh, basically said it's a sad time in America, and, and I agree with him. Uh, the fact that we are now, you know, constantly going, at, and I guess, you know, I try to watch my words here because I don't ever want to make it sound like I'm, I'm sympathetic to Trump because he's Trump, not because uh, of the actual plight, right? Um, I, I would feel badly if, if we did this to Hillary Clinton. And I don't even like Hillary Clinton, right? I, I would. I think if we haven't gone after a political candidate 
um, we being the United States Department of Justice, why are we going to start now? Why are we going to take somebody that's in a campaign? Now, I, I, I could see someone making the argument saying, but no, we can't. Everybody then who's going to do bad things and uh, try to hide from their malfeasance by running for office. But that is that's the decision that the Department of Justice made. They said, if you're running for office, we're not going to go after you because we don't want to interfere in, a, in a, an election. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You can always go and prosecute them later, especially for what we're talking about here. These these crimes that are, in my opinion, um, somewhat nonsensical. But anyway, we had a really good um, conversation with President Trump's attorney, Christina Bob, and she explained a lot of what we discussed in, in the first hour, which is good luck proving any of this. Right. They're alleging that Trump conspired. Conspiracy is a very difficult thing to prove. And why you would go for such a hard bar, a high bar and, and, and difficult um, um, case to make, in my opinion, is, is, is beyond me, other than they don't care. They don't care that it sticks around. They don't care if, if they only care to do what they're doing now. Right? It's not about winning the fight. It's about throwing the first punch so that people can be like, oh, and then someone's okay, boom, punched him in the face. That they want to control the story that way. Anyway, um, and, and we see it time and again in the media and everywhere else. I've, I neglected to give you the phone number. Let me give you the phone number. And it is Open Phone America. You're welcome to call in. I just wanted to rant a little bit because it's kind of what I do. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, I want to get into uh, some of the critics of Trump because I don't want to be one-sided and only tell my story. But we've got Catherine Herridge. Now, she's an excellent reporter on CBS News today. Uh, reporting on Representative Dan Goldman, who we we uh, played audio from him earlier in the week, uh, discussing Devin Archer's testimony. Listen to this. Well, earlier this week, we just had to rely on the characterization from Republicans and Democrats about Devin Archer's testimony. But now we can see the full transcript. Uh, you'll recall that Democrat uh, Congressman Dan Goldman said that Archer testified that it was the illusion of access to Joe Biden that Hunter Biden was offering to these clients. But in fact, when you look at the transcript, what you see is that that phrase, illusion of access, is in Dan Goldman's question. Mm. It's actually not what Devin Archer testified to. He says, yes, but that's not quite fair. This was about showing that there was the signal that there's influence and, and access here. That's Catherine Herridge. She's not a hack. She's not anything other than a, a national security reporter and, and a pretty good one at that. And, uh, yeah, I agree. And I think we, we called this out uh, earlier in the week on Monday or Tuesday, whenever it was, that we heard that testimony. But and, and the testimony is now out with respect to the transcript. But the the point is, the points that were discussed that day were that Dan Goldman is trying to spin this in one way or another. And, and I think uh, he's doing what he's supposed to do, right? That's what he's supposed to do. But the, the issue that I take with all of this is that the American people, you, me, and everybody else, we, we do want to have a, a semblance of truth, right? And, and we want to have more than a semblance of trust in our government. We shouldn't have to wake up every day and say, oh, but those are Democrats. or Oh, but those are Republicans. So they're just going to do this and they're gonna, just going to say that. And I mean, there, there was once a time, and maybe I'm... I'm 
naive to say this, but I believe there was once a time where it didn't matter so much if you were a Democrat or Republican. What mattered was that you were an American and that we cared about our country mutually and we wanted to see what was best. And we may have differed on what we thought best was, but it was in the same direction. And we've come to a place now where we're not in the same direction, right? We, we don't longer talk about the American dream being opening a business, um, buying a home, having a, a life that is is one that you can enjoy. Moreover, it, it's been replaced by the idea of, you know, these notions like we, we talked about about a, two weeks ago on a Friday. Uh, you'll own nothing, but you'll be happy. Right. This idea that we're going to squeeze you financially. And when I say we, I mean, just creating a system where maybe banks profit, where certain large corporations profit. Uh, but mom and pops don't succeed. You know, uh, the Amazons of the world, the Walmarts of the world. Again, I'm not against them. I've never been against Amazon or Walmart. Everybody makes a big deal. I hate Amazon. Blah, 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 blah. Listen, I'm not. I buy from Amazon all the time. I try not to buy from China. Yes, they probably bring more stuff from China than anybody else. Um, that probably makes me part of the problem in one way or another. But I believe in a free market, even a global free market. And I believe if you don't want to buy it, don't buy it. But I'm not going to sit here and say they can't sell it um, unless our government gets involved and says we can't sell it. Then Okay, then don't sell it. And I won't buy it. I'm not looking to buy things from China anyway. I try to buy things from anywhere but China. But my point is I, I understand the implications, right? I understand that we, we were in this place where things are more challenging. But I also believe that we have to allow people to the choice, the liberty, the freedom to, to choose what is best for them. And we can put pressure on our politicians and have our politicians do our bidding for us and go out there and debate these things and create laws and say, look, we were doing that that way, but we figured out this isn't good for the country or the people, and we're reversing course on that. And here's the bill that I'm proposing. Right? There's a system that we have in place, and we have to follow that system. But we're at a place now where it's, it's more about differences of ideas that are so disparate that it's very difficult to find a middle ground. And, and this is why I think it's problematic because we were once bonded by our Americanism, but these differences that we have are not necessarily American ideals, right? It's not uh, idealistically American. And by that, I mean, if we promote a social medical system that mimics that of what was once the USSR, right? And I think a lot of the Bernie Sanders policies, uh, and this was pointed out by the great one, Mark Levin, some years ago, that so much of his um, Feel the Burn 2008 policies, or rather um, his last election, excuse me, uh, were, were so um, almost pulled from the the uh, former USSR constitution that argued for paid family time off for this for for paid medical care and the language around it wasn't just the the premise of of what it is but the language around it i'm not saying i don't believe in those things it's not something i believe or disbelieve it's just when you put pressure on the government to provide for you you are erring right e r r i n g you are making a grand error. It is God who provides good health, good whatever, so that you can work and earn a living. And we provide for ourselves. We provide for our families. And when that gets lost on us and that idea escapes us, we don't all have to agree on it, but there's got to be a semblance of, uh, of agreement 
where we agree, yeah, that's exactly what we need to do. We need to just let me work. Let me do my thing. Get out of my way. Or like Reagan said, get off my back and out of my pocket. So we're going to continue our discussion on all of those things as uh, we, I filter through your calls and, and start to get to you guys. I'm off of that screen, so forgive me. But I'm going to get to it. Let me give you the number, 833-482-5337. Taking your comments on any of our guests tonight, whether it was Trump's lawyer, Christina Bob or Jeff Webb, who was with us, or Kenny Shu, who was talking about all of the challenges we face in public education, or any topic you want to bring to the table tonight. Happy to entertain that as well. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833 valdez that's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And for those of you who listen to my regular podcast, and again, I've been doing a podcast for a number of years now called This is America with Rich Valdez. I did it way before I was uh, here on national radio, and I, I really enjoy doing it. Uh, it's been my outlet to do my ranting. I uh, didn't take any calls, r- rarely brought in a guest, and just, you know, my ideas and thoughts on what was going on. And it became very popular and, you know, paved the way for a radio show eventually and, and got me here. And on the radio, on the podcast, there is a part of it where there's a song called I Like It Like That by Cardi B, which we use as the bumper. And uh, she says, he's so handsome. What's his name? And the announcer says, Rich Valdez. And it's kind of funny, kind of cute, if you will. And Cardi B uh, was in the news recently. She was charged with throwing her microphone at somebody, and she was charged with battery after that person threw a cup of water with ice, or the contents of that cup, at her while she was performing. And um, it went to court, and lo and behold, Cardi B has been cleared in the mic-throwing battery case. Uh, Charges have been dropped because the criminal battery investigation is now ended. Her lawyers, Drew Fenling, Jeff Shesnoff, and Richard Schoenfeld, uh, told TMZ that they were notified by Las Vegas Metro PD that as a result of the investigation, there will be no charges against Cardi. On behalf of Cardi, they wanted to uh, thank uh, uh, Las Vegas Metro PD for their diligent and prompt resolution in the matter. Now, you know, I was um, my thought on this was that, you know, if she got hot and poured some water on herself or made a comment like, oh, my gosh, you guys should just throw water at me. I'm so hot. That doesn't necessarily mean that you should. And again, even if somebody did at that moment and she was cool with it, I think that's OK. The video that I saw, this was not even nice. Right. They literally threw a cup of the ice. It, it, it was not nice. It was not nice in any way. And um, I think I would have responded exactly as she did. Um, that's where I land on this. I don't want to throw microphones at anybody. My microphone's connected to like this big stretchy arm thing, so I can't even throw it anywhere. But I, I wouldn't want to throw a microphone at any of my listeners. But if you threw water at me, I'm throwing something at you. I mean, that's just that's how it works, right? 
You know, you get pushed, you get pushed back. But anyway, that's the story on Cardi B. And I just wanted to plug my podcast there. But speaking of the podcast, I want to remind you again, um, if you haven't registered your email, please do. Time is going to run out pretty soon. Voting will start in, in a number of, if it hasn't started already, because it was supposed to start in August. I just haven't gotten wind of that yet. Uh, but we're um, nominated for this program, the podcast of this program, which is uh, Rich Valdez, America at Night. And the place you can go to register your email is podcastawards.com. Podcast Awards, and that's plural, dot com. Awards with an S at the end. And make sure you go there. There's a little blue screen, a little blue box in the middle of the screen. When you go, click on that. It'll ask you to nominate. You don't have to nominate anything. We've been nominated already. So you can just register your email. It's going to ask you who your favorite uh, radio host is or favorite podcaster. You could put my name in there, Rich Valdez with an S. And then you're going to scroll down to where it says Government and Organizations, which is what the category we were nominated for. And there will be a drop-down menu. In that drop-down menu, you'll see my name, Rich Valdez, America at Night. You can highlight that, hit Submit, and voila, we're done. So uh, if you want to support the cause, feel free to do that. And uh, always thankful to everybody who has supported me on this journey uh, with the People's Choice Podcast Awards. And the website again, podcastawards.com. Now, um, I want to go to the phones because there's a lot to talk about today. While Cardi B was uh, found not guilty, Trump was arraigned today. So uh, we'll hit the phones, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to, I don't know if it's Jean or Jean, but calling from New York, listening to WFAS. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. You were right the first time. J-E-A-N. Hi, Jean. Welcome. Thank you, first-time caller to your show. I would like to request that everybody support Donald J. Trump. We all have to get behind him and support him. I would like you to go back into your uh, reporting and try to bring up his his announcement when he at, at January 6th, when he was at the White House. There was a mm-hmm. group of people there. Get the time frame up. I think it was one thirty. He told everybody to go peacefully. Go peacefully. Yeah, yeah I think and he actually said peacefully people, and patriotically. Let your voices be heard. Yeah, re- replay that once in a while so our people can hear that, what he really did say. He didn't say go out and raise hell and smash windows. Right. He told them to go peacefully. Right. And put the time frame up. That was around one thirty or so. And so it took those people probably hour to get back to the the, the um, oh god the Capitol, and so before they even got there, the, this other crowd was there breaking in, smashing windows. So it had nothing to do with Trump in the first place. There was instigators there, uh, set up. I think some FBI agents were there encouraging people to break in. Uh, when they put that scaffolding up to hang uh, by, um, oh, good grief. Anyway, why didn't they, they must have put that up the night before. Why didn't Washington police or White House uh, Capitol police see that scaffolding and say, what's this all about? Yeah, well, I think there was construction going on, Gene, and why the, that was why the scaffolding was up. And But you're right. 
there was an offer made by the Department of Defense, the Pentagon, and their chief of staff at the time was a guy named Cash Patel, former federal prosecutor and um, national security advisor to the House of Representatives. And he told them, look, we will give you 10,000 National Guard troops if you want them. Um, we've approved it. You just have to accept that approval and, and put your own approval because the D.C. mayor and the speaker had to agree as well. And they would have had 10,000 Guard troops guarding the building. This was something Trump offered. And this is on the record. And Nancy Pelosi uh, rejected it. So this has been a bone of contention, but you can't argue with the facts. And those are the facts. Thank you, Gene. I appreciate your call and your kind words. Folks, we're coming right back with the rest of your calls. Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Hunter Biden's sweetheart plea deal fell through when the judge realized it had blanket immunity. The following day, a superseding indictment against Donald Trump. So that's Alina Haba, a guest on this program a couple of times, and uh, she's President Trump's uh, lawyer as well, uh, saying that there's a suspicious trend of charges or at least allegations, bombshell testimony, etc., uh, where we find things out about Hunter Biden, like, and she's right on that one, I got to say. This is, um, it's, I think she's been right on most of this all along, but it, it, it is a fact that Devin Archer testified and, and um, corroborated a lot of, of what was suspected uh, about Hunter Biden. It is a fact that Hunter Biden went to go sign, had signed his plea deal, went to court to to accept his plea agreement, and the government, who, in my opinion, was helpful to Hunter Biden, giving him a, a pass on the gun charge and whatnot, said, we can't give you immunity from all future crimes like that can't happen. We're, we're making a deal on these two crimes. And his lawyers balked at this, saying, well, what do you mean you can't do that? And, you know, they almost lost it. And the judge said, this is fishy. I don't like what's going on. Who's calling in, trying to pull information out of the the the, the docket? So, I mean, all of that really happened that was on the record, and I think she's right. And it, it looks like there's some funny business. <clears throat> so um, it seems like every time, you know, a, a punch is thrown at Hunter Biden, the Department of Justice throws a punch at Donald Trump. Interesting, to say the least. Uh, in other news, I mean, we're going to get to your calls momentarily. Tie to me. It's an oral birth control company. They've recalled their birth control. The FDA is warning that the reduced uh, efficacy may result in unexpected pregnancies. So imagine that, a birth control pill that doesn't help control birth. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, I did a whole podcast on this once, and uh, there's uh, some real horror stories of birth control, uh, including in Puerto Rico uh, way back in the days. So uh, maybe I'll um, reference that a little bit later so you guys could hear about it. But... Uh, Lupin Pharmaceuticals has recalled two batches of the birth control called Tidemy to due to reduced effectiveness that may result in unexpected pregnancies for users. The FDA said that the pills were voluntarily recalled after manufacturers realized that the oral contraception contained a decreased level of ascorbic acid, excuse me, and 
high levels of a known impurity. Talk about bad news. Sorry, ladies. Uh, and yes, I do say ladies. I don't think men take these. But we will continue with your calls and more and your opinions on everything else that we're talking about today. Let us continue. Where do we go here? We've got a call from, uh, let's see, Andrew, Clinton, Illinois, W-H-O-W. W how? Andrew, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, good evening again, Mr. Valdez. I love your show and I appreciate all your work. Thank you, sir. I just wanted to uh, touch uh, a couple points, first being uh, regarding uh, Donald Trump's, our president's uh, response to his third uh, indictment today, how he said uh, if it, it'll only take a fourth, one more indictment for him to basically be guaranteed to you know, become president again. Yeah. I, I was curious your thoughts about that. And it's interesting what your previous statement was uh, at the at the end of the previous break about uh, Hunter's Hunter Biden's constant, uh, you know, getting, you know, the scam about what he's all the the nonsense sure. that he's been involved with and how they kind of they just kind of punch back towards Trump. Yeah. And, and you think funny, that it, it really helps? Well, I can tell you this. Look, um, I do think it's helping. I mean, it's not. I think it, the proof is there. You, you'll see Trump's poll numbers right now. He's like 40 percent ahead in the Republican primary. Um, every time they do an indictment, he gets a little spike. He goes up to 56 percent, 58 percent. It's really interesting the way that works, because I think people <clears throat> people use Trump as a statement, right? Like many political people, they, a lot of people may not even like Trump per se. I happen to like Trump, but I also believe that Trump represents the little guy. In many ways. And people are like, how are you going to say that a billionaire from New York City who's, who's, who inherited a fortune from his dad represents the little guy? And simply, Trump is a regular guy in so much as, A, the way he behaves. But, B, he's not a political guy. right? Even though he served as president, now he's a legitimate politician because he's a former president. But that doesn't change the fact that he hasn't spent four and five decades in Washington where he made a fortune in Washington. Right. Like Barack Obama, like uh, you name it, you pick the name. They came in. They were worth 100 grand plus their house. And they leave worth a billion. Right. 400 million. People are making fortunes in Washington. Then we wonder why we have a disappearing middle class and why taxes are so high. How do you think these people make so much money if the government is the new place to go and get rich? Now, Trump's the only guy I know that went into government. I think he was worth four billion dollars or something like that. And, and left office, and he was worth less money. He was like $3 billion. So it loses a billion dollars in the first year that he's out. I think he might have lost another one since. The only guy I know. So when I look at that, I say, you know what? Yeah, I think Trump represents all of our interests. Because you know what? You know who else is losing every time politicians get rich in Washington? You and me, Andrew. <laughs> we're, we're not getting any richer because Nancy Pelosi's making more money with Paul Pelosi. That, that doesn't help me. So, but I do know that I pay taxes that some way or somehow in one way or another pay the salaries of the representatives and the senators and every other government person we have because that's how that works. And they, I know that they don't create anything, right? They're called lawmakers and they write laws and debate laws, but they don't make anything. I make an, uh, a broadcast every day, right? The baker makes bread every day. The mechanic fixes cars every day. They make something. They have labor. They sell their labor. These people aren't doing any of that. 
And if they're selling their labor, they're getting compensated for it. Where's all the rest of the money coming from? So I think that's a big part of my bone of contention with that. Um, so I think, yeah, they're helping Trump to, to do whatever. And I think there is somebody somewhere. There may be. I'm not sold on this idea. But there may be somebody somewhere saying, keep going after Trump. Keep going after Trump. He's only going to be popular with the Republicans. But there's not enough of them to get him across the finish line. So come the general election, voila, we're just going to hit him with he's had four, four indictments and four this and four that. And he's very weak. And we can beat him. Again, I just don't believe that to be true wholeheartedly. I think that there's people saying it, and I think about it, but I don't know that if it's entirely accurate. Uh, it's, to me, it's kind of like saying, look, you got Mike Tyson that wants to get in the ring with you, and then you got a bunch of other boxers. And people going, well, you know what? Let's keep putting legal charges on Mike Tyson. Because at least, you know, it doesn't mean Mike Tyson still won't beat the crap out of you when, when he gets in the ring with you. You know, when Donald Trump gets to debate people, uh, in a general election, whomever they put up, I think he's going to do well because he's good at that stuff. He's good at connecting with the crowd and telling people how he feels in very small sound bites, and he's great at making good nicknames. So, you know, crooked Hillary, crooked Hillary, right? He's just great with that stuff, and that stuff is extraordinarily effective, in my opinion. I don't know. What say you, Andrew? Hey. You're absolutely right, I, and I think his his message is very very effective because he actually speaks to the things that matter to the middle America, the yeah. average American working class citizen. Which is, I think when know, Trump says something, you're right. When Trump says something, I think a truck driver goes, "Hell yeah, <laughs> he makes sense," right? I don't think when when Joe Biden says something yeah. that you know some construction worker goes, "Oh man, that Biden, he really he speaks my language." I totally get that guy. I see myself in him. I want to have a beer with that guy. I don't think there's a relationship like that with Biden. So I think that's why Trump cuts through a lot of the noise because he gets it. He just gets it. And it's probably because he's a New Yorker. It's my my argument, but I'm biased. Um, I don't know. Now, as far as VP candidates, I think uh, we had one on last night, Larry Elder, and I I wish him Godspeed and everything he does. But uh, I think he would make a phenomenal uh, vice president. Uh, And I think there's many others out there that would also. You know, um, there was some talk a while back about Carrie Lake, who we had on this program a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think she'd also be good in that capacity. Um, I just don't know if she could carry, uh, you know, the um, the West Coast, but she is from Arizona. So, again, um, I'm open to that idea also. I think there's a lot of great people, though. I really do. I don't know who he picks and how they which direction they go in, but uh, I think it's going to be a good race. And. And uh, I'm hopeful to see how it ends up. Do you know uh, offhand which state uh, Ramaswamy would be representing from? Uh, offhand, I don't, but we'll take a look during the break and we'll bring it back. I think he's very effective. I just don't know that VP is the right role for him. But what do I know? I'm just a radio guy. Andrew from Clinton, Illinois, thank you so much. W-H-O-W, big shout out to you guys. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's go to Alex in Pensacola, Florida, WCOA. Alex, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Uh, good evening. I'm a first-time caller. The reason I called tonight was uh, because of Executive Order 14067. I'm, I expect you're aware of what that is. It, uh, yeah, it deals with central bank digital as, currencies. Right, right. And uh, it was supposed to be just that we're going to uh, research and see what it might take and what it is transformed into and probably was the idea all along is to move us towards a cashless society sure. and what i what i believe needs to happen is uh that needs to be stopped uh I, it's my understanding and i well, could let me wrong. just chime in with you alex and tell you i agree with you i think that needs to be stopped and the number one way to stop something like that an executive order is to get a new executive in office because once they come in they can undo those executive orders that's number one number two uh, this isn't law, right? It's not codified as law. It's an executive order. So it, it's um, something that goes along with the executive that's currently in office. However, Congress will eventually have to um, make a law on this. And this is why it's so important for us to stick together as Americans, plural, because I, I, I vote for my congressman. You vote for your congressman. This goes up to the Senate. We have to have as many people that are sympathetic to our cause of keeping cash alive and, and not dealing with uh, CBDC, central bank digital currencies, uh, for as long as we can, because the federal government's already implemented it at, in, at the interbank level. So banks are already dealing with each other this way. Uh, it's only a matter of time before it comes our way. And uh, the more resistance that we can put in place, the better. And I agree, we've got to stop it. You know, when you, when you have a dollar out there, or $50 or $20 or whatever, um, that, that dollar stays in your economy. You know, you, you buy a newspaper, you do whatever you do. The money you're spending, and I was a barber, so when people would come to the barbershop, pay me in cash, that money stuck with me. I went then, I bought blades, I bought, you know, talcum powder, stuff like that. Um, but when you are when you're no longer have cash, now you're swiping. And every time you're swiping, you're paying a bank a piece of this, you're paying this one a, a transaction fee, this one's getting their piece, that one's getting their piece. And when you tie that up with um, a blockchain, and you can say, oh, well, this, this was spent here, and then, and then, and then, and then. Now you have this incredible paper trail, which people love, but now you're, you have a paper trail of all these people that you paid and all these other people you still have to pay, <laughs> right? So I think uh, I prefer cash all day, every day. Alex, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I want to move forward, and uh, let's go to uh, Sandra calling from Dothan, Alabama. Sandra, go right ahead. Yeah, I wanted to make a comment, and I wanted to ask you a couple questions about this banning of the incandescent bulbs. I know this started back in the Bush era, and so finally uh, Biden signed the paperwork that retailers can't sell them. So I'm asking you, I couldn't find anything online. Uh, what's going to happen with these light bulbs? In other words, the stores that have already bought them from their vendors, they have them. So are they just going to have to dispose of them, or is the government going to give them a check for them, going to give them a credit? Yeah. And what about the people? And then you're going to have the people that are going to say, well, I can't afford to pay $5 for a light bulb. So is the government going to send people checks? I mean, yeah, might, well, let me let me chime in here, Sandra, and, and tell you what I know though, thus far, because, again, this is a, currently you're right. This is going way back into the Obama years. But uh, the current administration um, has a ban on incandescent bulbs and it goes into effect 
today. So um, everybody is going to have to buy these more expensive, energy-efficient bulbs. Um, and, and honestly, they're only—they're better. I've been buying them for years. I like LED bulbs. And the um, the answer to your question is no. It's going to be sellout items. People will sell them, and they'll dump their inventory to like dollar stores and stuff like that, and push it on Amazon until they get rid of it. Kind of like the stores where there was plastic bag bans, uh, like in uh, in uh, New Jersey. There's a plastic bag ban. And everybody was allowed to use their last bag, you know, of a box of bags until they did whatever and switched to paper. Or in New York, they banned styrofoam for like um, street carts and food vendors and whatnot. So uh, that's where it is. I would suspect there's going to continue to be an underground railroad of a black market for these items. And they'll continue. And to me, this is just another payday. Somebody who said, hey, look, I make LED bulbs. Can you um, ban those other ones? and say they're bad for the economy and, you know, we'll kick back to your campaign or whatever. And I'm sure that was a simplified version of how this really went down. So that's my thought on that. I appreciate the call, Sandra. I don't mean to cut you short, but uh, I have to go to the break. Uh, So big shout out to everybody on WDBT in Dothan, Alabama. Coming right back to the rest of your calls. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, we continue with your calls. Let's go to Evergreen, Montana, KOFI. Check in with our buddy Frank. Frankie, baby, what's going on? Quickly. Hey, uh, uh, I, I support you. And... Uh, it's, this you. is from Big Frankie at Hotmail.com. I, I, I think your podcast <laughs> would be great. Thank you, sir. Love that. Uh, hey, uh, I want to say uh, down there at uh, on the north entrance to Yellowstone Park where Old Faithful is, there's signs out there that says don't pee into this uh, into these soda streams. I mean, these bubbling... Uh, 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 like the springs, uh, well, the geysers? Yeah. You don't want to be in that because there's these amoebas that they're prehistoric. They will, they come all the way from the center of the earth, and they'll pee up, they'll swim up your your urine stream, lodge itself in your penis, and it's painful. Then they work their way into your brain and eat your brains out. Listen to this, Frank. So a, a teen girl in Georgia... Uh, she just died of a brain-eating amoeba after swimming in a lake. And this was a high school girl. Her mom says that she's still in shock. I'd be in shock, too. Poor high school girl from Georgia died after being infected with what the state's health department says is a rare brain-eating amoeba. So I think you're on to something, Frank. And, uh, yeah, it's a very good caution to everybody listening. And there was another story I wanted to share with you. I thought about you because it was, it was in... Um, Montana, listen to this one. An otter, a rare kind of otter, attacked uh, three women floating on tubes in a popular Montana river. Did you know that there were otters in Montana? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I, I had no idea. I thought you guys had moose. That was all I knew. Anyway, I got to come out there and check you out at KOFI. 
Frank, I appreciate you, brother. Big Frankie, blah, 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 at hotmail.com. I'm looking out for it. Thank you for the support on the podcast vote. And let's see, do we have a moment? I don't know that we do, but we're going to give it a shot. Matt, make it quick. Yes, sir. I'm tired of the Biden crime family, and they're ridiculous getting away with everything. And my Trump flag, big and beautiful, my neighbors love it, is flying proudly from an 80-foot pine tree as stout as Donald Trump right next to the road. Outstanding. And that's Matt. He's near Moorhead City in North Carolina on WTKF. Matt, I appreciate your observation and your support for El Trumpito Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States. And everybody else that's listening, I'm going to thank you for joining the show tonight. I feel like it was a great show. I love being with you tonight. Take care. Good night. And God bless. Until the next time. Hasta la próxima. I am Rich Valdez. We're going to do it all again tomorrow. But until we do that, Make sure you stay locked on this station. There's a lot more programming, and it's really good. Don't go anywhere. Every story eventually comes to an end. This June, hear the final episode of Season 2 of the hit podcast series, In the Red Clay, Durham. In the Red Clay tells the unbelievable true story of Billy Sunday Burt, the most dangerous man in Georgia history. In the podcast that people are calling riveting, incredibly moving, captivating, and addicting. Binge seasons one and two of In the Red Clay now, wherever you listen.